here at University Drive Alliance Church. When I was 20 years old for a couple of summers while I was in the city of Regina going to school, uh, I worked on a five-acre piece of beautiful parkland in the heart of Regina. Actually, the location of the former residence of the Lieutenant Governor of Saskatchewan. And it's, it's majestic grounds, beautiful grounds. There's a, a large greenhouse there with very lush, uh, exotic plants, and there's flowers everywhere and trees and shrubs. And I worked with a team of people, and this was considered one of the highest priority locations in the whole province. And so we would plant thousands of flowers, and we would prune the trees and the shrubs, and we weeded and we watered and we fertilized, and we had that place looking spectacular. It was really beautiful. This is the kind of imagery that God is going to use in the passage that we're looking at today to talk about what he wants to do in our spiritual life. So today, I want you to be thinking in terms of images like gardening and farming and vine keeping. And I know that's kind of hard for us city people to do because we think that our fruit just come, grows at Costco in one of the back rooms there. But try to imagine these images of gardening and those kinds of things. And as you do, I invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 15 or turn on your device at home and follow along. And we're in this series of messages called Nearest and Dearest, and it's written by John, Jesus' best friend. And in this passage of Scripture, in these 17 verses in John 15, the big idea, the big theme is that God uses this metaphor to talk about his intention for the biblical believer to be fruitful, that this is God's intention for every biblical believer to be fruitful. So let me read to you, first of all, verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And so God the Father is the gardener, and he oversees and he tends to his garden, and Jesus is the vine the true vine, and we're going to discover as we read, we are the branches that flow off of that vine and the very life of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about extensively last week, is to flow the very life of Christ into our lives so that we will be fruitful along the lines of this image and this metaphor that John writes about. This is very important because you cannot be anybody else's vine, nor can they be the vine for you. And sometimes we do this in life, we make this mistake, we make it all about this person in our life, a spouse or a grandchild or a kid or success as the world understands it or our work life or our grade point average. And we see these things as the vine or the source of our life. We cannot do this. And I would suggest that in this time in the history of our world, this historical moment of what we're going through right now, this is all the more important to be connected to the vine 
that the Holy Spirit flows the very life of Christ into our life. And so Jesus is the vine and the goal is to be fruitful. Now there's two big errors that I would suggest um, secularized thinking often it comes across with. Some of them think the goal or the Greek word is the telos. The goal of life is to be successful. And Jesus would definitely say, that is not the goal of life, to be successful. For others, they would say, the goal of life is to be comfortable. And that is decidedly not the goal of life. The goal, according to Jesus in this passage, we're going to discover, is to be fruitful. And so based on that kind of uh, the world's measuring stick, Jesus would not be considered successful or comfortable. He didn't even have a home to live in. He was homeless and had no place to lay his head. And his life was decidedly, if you know anything about his life, his life was not very comfortable. And let me just say to you, if you are fruitful, I'm just going to be upfront with you here. If you are fruitful, you may well have less success as the world would understand it. And for sure, you're going to be less comfortable. So what's the definition that we're going to read about here of a fruitful tree? A fruitful tree nourishes others. Uh, When I was about 12 years old, our family was on a trip to Southern California, and we went and saw some sort of shirt tail relatives down there. And in the backyard of their home, they had a, a peach tree. And I remember vividly going over. They said, go ahead. And I went over and I plucked this absolutely ripe peach. And when I took a bite of it, there was so much juice, it just was flowing down my face. And I had to eat it bent over like this. And it was so lush and it was so beautiful. And it was life-giving. It was nourishing. And it was sweet. This is the idea in this passage. A tree doesn't exist to benefit itself. It exists to benefit others. And Jesus uses this illustration, this metaphor in John 15, to talk about four kinds of people. And so the key question I invite you to be considering as we walk through this passage together is, what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I? And so the first one we'll talk about is the unbeliever, the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And we read about this in verse 6. Jesus says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So someone says, well, Scott, I'm not a bad person. I'm going to just take your word for it. I'm sure you're a very good person. I'm sure you're not a bad person. But, But let me just say to you, if you're living a life of independence from God. Um, The scripture and God would say to you, this is the very definition of breaking relationship with God. This is what the scripture would call a sinful thing that you have not chosen to receive and be changed by the actions of Jesus on your behalf. And here's the thing that's really cool. God deeply wants a relationship with you. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus went to the cross. In fact, it says 
in Second Peter, God is not willing that any should perish. And so his posture, as I'll often say, is just one of open arms to you. But I want to take a moment to talk about a hard truth. We're going to talk about hell, which is pictured here in this verse 6. Most people really like the idea of heaven, but they have a big frown on their face when they think about the idea of hell. Did you know that Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? That 13% of his teaching is about eternal judgment, is about punishment, and is about hell. And the idea is when people say, I don't want anything to do with God, they're cut off and separated from God. And the language that Jesus and others often use is in the idea of burning, literal physical torment. Someone says, well, Scott, I don't feel like I need God in my life because my life is going fine. Well, it probably is fine until it isn't fine, and then it will not be fine forever. And so this is a hard truth, and I'm not going to try to edit it. I'm not going to try and make it easier to swallow. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear on this, as is Jesus. Everyone dies. Everyone lives forever. And something I'll say once or twice a year, most serious thing I can say possible, a hundred years from now, everyone you know, everyone you love, everyone that you're sitting in that room with wherever you are is going to be in one of two places. They're either going to be in heaven or in hell. And if you don't belong to Jesus, if you're making the choice to live a life independent of him, then logically, it only makes sense, right, that you shouldn't expect to live with God in heaven. And you need to know that you won't. And that hell is a place of literal physical torment, of burning. And you say to me, well, you're scaring me, Scott. You should be scared. I've said this a number of times in this series. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. God desperately wants a relationship with you, but it takes two. Jesus has done everything necessary to initiate a relationship with you. He's done all of the work. And he's made this offer to you. And if you choose to do life without him, it's only reasonable to expect to do life without him forever. And so somebody says, well, Scott, I don't like the concept of hell. Then let me just say to you, then don't choose to go to hell. You don't need to. Choose to humble yourself confess your sin, own your sin. And by the way, we're all in the same boat on this. Every one of us, me, you, everyone. Humble yourself, choose to confess your sin, acknowledge the fact that it's hopeless based on anything you do or don't do to deal with this, that this is why Jesus came. Ask him to forgive you and then just surrender your life fully to him and you will have begun an eternal relationship with the God that loves you. The second person pictured in this passage of scripture is that of the unhealthy believer. And we see this in verse two. And verse two is one of those really, really complicated verses. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit 
while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You know, Mark Driscoll says in Scripture, there's some issues that are closed-handed issues and some that are open-handed. So by closed-handed, he means there's no debate. If you're, if you're going to believe the Scripture, these things are true. So things like the historical, factual nature of the resurrection, of the virgin birth, these key things. And then there are things that very intelligent, godly, wise people have Have some some levels levels of of disagreement with and discussion about. about. And so I would suggest that this verse is probably one of those things. And so you may not agree with what I'm about to say. I may not agree with you, but we'll still be friends at the end of the day, right? So there's three or four ways you can look at this verse. Let me talk about three of them. The first one, someone says, well, this just sounds, as I read this verse, like a believer that he cuts off because they're producing bad fruit and he throws them into the fire. That's pretty scary. It scares me, to be honest with you. Because if that's what this verse means, then what it would be saying is, in addition to what Jesus did, I have to do something if I don't want to burn forever. It's a works-based, what's called a works-based salvation there, that in order to earn God's love and forgiveness, I have to add something on to what Jesus has done. This is what every other religion and spirituality in the world says to you. You've got to do this, this, and this, or not do that, that, and that. And then this small G God that you have created in your mind hopefully will be happy with you and satisfied with you. And the scriptures and Jesus would say something very, in fact, 100% different than that. It says, biblically, I trust in Jesus' finished work alone. This is why Jesus says on the cross, it's finished. It is finished. He doesn't say it is finished and now over to you. He doesn't say that. He just says what I've done has wrapped things up. And so I would not agree with that idea that it's Jesus plus. We would suggest from scripture, it's Christ alone. Another view is that God views a Christian and he just takes them immediately to heaven when they look at this verse, that this believer's life is a mess and it's not changing and so God just takes them home. And a couple of examples in scripture of this that they might point to, a person might point to, is in the book of Exodus, the people of God, um, their leader steps away for a little while and they begin to worship a golden calf and they do all kinds of horrible stuff and God, it says in the passage, causes some of them to die. Boom. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, listen, some of you are doing really selfish, hurtful, uh, sinful stuff. And then he says, and that is why some of you are sick and some of you have died. And so maybe that's a possibility here. Another one is, is that like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's referring to a fake Christian. Um, a person that, that listens, that goes to church maybe, uh, that gives to good causes, that maybe reads their Bible, but doesn't believe any of it. Because when you believe something, if you actually believe something, it changes you, right? That's why the Bible says we become a new creation in Christ. And in every church, 
sad to say there, you know, there's lots of Christians, people that have given their life to Jesus, but then there's fake Christians as well who have never sincerely given their life to Jesus. And there can be a whole range of motivations for that. Third kind of person um, that you might be being talked about or might, you know, is this the kind of person you are, is a believer in the season of pruning. So let me read verses two to five. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If If a man man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart Apart from from me, you you can can do nothing. So God puts this desire in our heart generally to be fruitful and and we want to be fruitful, but we're often, at least I am sometimes, anxious about the pruning segment of all of that. But we know, if you know anything about gardening, you know there's little or no fruit that comes forth without pruning. That if we don't cut off the sucker branches and pluck and deadhead the plant and stuff like that, it saps the health of the tree. And it's God's intention, it says in verse 5 and in different places here, that we would bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. And that is because of our life being seated in the, in the life of Christ, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of these things, out of that empowerment, we can nourish our family, our co-workers, our community. And I'm going to suggest, as we've been singing about this morning, in the darkness of what we're going through right now, as believers and as a church, we have the opportunity to be a source of encouragement and nourishment and blessing in the life of people. I was speaking with a friend of mine, a fellow pastor this week. He was saying he had just gotten off the phone with his half-brother who lives in another part of the country. And this half-brother is not a follower of Jesus. And this pastor said to me, the word I would use to describe my brother right now is terrorized, that he's paralyzed by fear. And I haven't been out and about much this week, but the little that I have been, I can see the fear. I see people running around. We had to go to the grocery store. We needed some food. And I see people literally running with their carts. They're afraid. When we are connected to Jesus, we can be a source of hope, a source of peace, a source of provision. As I said in one of my talks earlier this week online, I said, let's not be, let's not be having a hoarding mentality. Let's have a giving mentality. Let's be there for hurting people. Let's care for them. But this passage says, if you're not connected to Jesus, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Well, someone says, well, Scott, I am apart from Jesus, but I feel like my life is quite fruitful. This passage would say to you, it's plastic fruit glued to a dead tree. From a distance, the fruit looks really good, looks very inviting. 
But when you get up close and you actually take a bite of a piece of plastic fruit, it doesn't taste so good. And maybe when you were little, the, you know, people would still have plastic fruit on their table. And maybe when you were little, you tried to take a bite of one of those things. They don't taste so good. But in Jesus, when we're connected to the vine, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, this provides supernatural power to bring forth the very character of Jesus in and through our life so that we can be a source of nourishing, refreshing, authentic, genuine life, which, like any piece of really good real fruit, is so sweet, so delicious. In fact, the, the, the more you're connected to Jesus, the sweeter you become. The sweeter you become. I'm 57 years old now. And what I'm about to say, this so applies to me. As you become older in life and older in Christ, you should be becoming progressively more and more sweet. Sweeter and sweeter. But the, the sad reality is that some people that are getting closer to the end of the life than the beginning become sour and mean. That's not the way we're called to be. You know, on Thursday um, for lunch, I had some grapes and an orange. And the grapes actually were from Costco, that one of those back rooms where they grow all that stuff. And I'm eating these grapes, and they were just so good. They were so delicious. I wanted more of them. And then I went in to eat the orange, and it was sour and dry, and it had a big rotten piece on the back of it. Not very pleasant. When we're connected to the vine... The older we get, the longer we are in Christ. We should become sweeter and sweeter. And Jesus says, if we're not, that's not good. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so sometimes God comes along and says, I need to prune you here and here and here. And I can't help but wonder if we're in a pruning season right now. Maybe a lost job. Uh, maybe lost a dream, maybe a lost friend. I had some dreams get lost here in the last few days. Probably we all have had lost friend. Pruning can be both painful. In fact, it is painful. And then there's long-term profit that comes from the pruning. Let me say something real serious to you. So, if your life goal is to be successful or to be comfortable, you will hate pruning. You will hate pruning because pruning is not comfortable. It hurts and you will have less. But when God prunes you, when you invite that and when you allow that, the, it gives you more and more health ultimately in life. And you as the branch become healthier and the, the fruit you produce becomes sweeter. And there is a difference, a big difference between hurt and harm. God prunes and it hurts, but it's so you'll be more fruitful. And long term, there's absolutely no harm. But while we are being pruned, which is maybe what's going on right now, sometimes we're asking questions like, do you exist, God? Are you punishing me? Are you mad at me? 
Did I do something wrong? And you may be asking those kinds of questions of God right now. And here's God's answer to you. No. I love you. I want what's best for you. When I prune you, it's because my heart for you is a loving heart that wants what's best. And so sometimes the pruning will mean removing a person from our life who is just leading us on a path that is not good. Maybe it would be removing a position in life because it's really not what he wanted for us or intended for us. And it seems very successful and very comfortable, but it's ultimately not good for us. And so God prunes that from our life or a provision in our life that we've been relying on to be more successful and to be more comfortable. And he's saying, no, I want you to be more deeply connected to the vine and to be more fruitful. So I'm going to prune that. Maybe it is a sin in our life that, and it doesn't have to be, but it might be a sin in our life that he says, I'm going to do what I have to because I love you to invite you to step away from that, to repent from that. And it's in these moments of pruning that we live by faith and not by sight. And frankly, it may not make a lot of sense at the time. And COVID-19 may not make a lot of sense right now. And at the moment, what many people are saying is, all I can see is it hurts and I have less. And God's word and invitation to us is, trust in me, there will be more fruit if you remain in my son. The fourth kind of person is a, a believer growing more healthy and more fruitful. Verse 17, verse 7 and on. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other. This is the fruit he's talking about. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I will no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Ask whatever you wish. If we are connected to the vine, if we, as it says in verse 7, if we're residing in his word, we can be fruitful in what every area of a life that is in alignment with God's will. He says, uh, as I said a moment ago in verse 12, the evidence of a fruitful life is love. And so Jesus does all the work on the cross. He does everything to instigate a relationship. We receive it. We're transformed, become new creations by God's love. And then the scripture says, out of that new relationship, 
I love God. I love others. In fact, it says, I love my neighbor. I love strangers. It even says in Matthew 5, I love my enemies. This stuff does not come in our own strength. It only comes when we're empowered by the Spirit and we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It changes our life. Then it says in verse 16, He chooses us. And theologians have and will debate this forever, but I'm a simple guy, and it seems pretty clear to me. Jesus chooses you, and then you respond to him. Um, One of my theology professors years ago gave me this illustration, and I think it it just lands so well biblically in the, all the debate around this. Imagine yourself in a dungeon and there's chains on your wrist and chains on your ankles. And there's numerous doors, all of which are locked and there's guards. Jesus comes along. He gently moves the guard aside. He unlocks all the doors. He comes to you. He unlocks the chains off your wrist He unlocks the chains off your feet and he holds out his hand to you and he says, come, and you do. He chooses us. He does all the work. Then we choose to receive it only because he initiated the relationship. That's what he wants for you today if you don't have that already. Then verse 16 says, when you have this kind of attachment to the vine, then you will bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. The goal of, listen to me, the goal of Christian life is not just to go to heaven. This is a false idea. It's not just to go to heaven when I die. The goal of the Christian life is to be fruitful until you die. There is no, you can look all through the book, there's no retirement culture in Scripture. Now, you may retire from your job at some point, your vocation, but we never, ever, ever retire from being fruitful. The goal is a supernatural, divine-based love that's only empowered by the Holy Spirit. So how do you bear that kind of fruit? We talked about this a lot last week of, of, of ongoing, regular, daily, just surrendering my life, being filled with the Spirit. I can't live the Christian life in my own strength as it's intended to be live, lived. But in this passage, there's eight times that Jesus talks about fruit, and there's 11 times that he talks about, depending on your translation, either remaining or abiding. And so there's this very clear cause and effect that's set up here by Jesus. Cause, remain, or abide, and the effect is fruitful. I remain or abide in the vine, and I will be fruitful. So what I am not, I'm not saying don't be concerned about the fruit in your life, but first of all, focus on remaining in Christ on abiding in Christ, in staying closely connected to Jesus. 
And so here's an assignment for you here at home uh, that I'd like you to do. Um, you can do it in Living Room Church where you're meeting right now. Maybe you're going to have brunch together after Living Room Church or depending on when you're watching this, later after lunch or whatever. Um, as you're doing that or if you're in your small group meeting via Zoom this week or Facebook group or whatever the case is, discuss for you practically what what does it mean for me to remain in Christ? How is this working itself out in my life. And then pray for one another that way. What do you do to remain in Christ? Let me suggest a few things. Um, I don't know for sure what you're doing, but here's just a few things. Prayer is an absolute necessity. God doesn't need our prayers. We do. And prayer is when I come and I'm just very honest with God and I say, I want to align my decisions, my will, which is what this passage talks about, with your will, God, with your purposes. I want my life to reflect you well. I want you to be honored through my life. Would you fill me with your spirit? And I want to be the kind of person that before I do anything in life, I pray. Bible reading, it says this in verse 7 of the text, I remain or I abide in God's word. You cannot live and remain in a healthy way in Christ if you don't remain in his word. It doesn't work. Worship, worship is particularly important in what we're going through right now. It focuses our attentions in the right place. It reminds us, as we were singing about earlier, who is our creator and we are the created ones. It, 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 as we read Psalm 29, and then we sang a song that sort of moves right out of that psalm, um, it focuses our attention on the living Christ. And just like your body, every much as much so, as your body needs air, needs water, and needs food to drink, your soul needs worship. And particularly at times like this, it, will, it, it, has an, it has an effect from God when we are a worshiping person that's hard to put into words. Solitude and silence, these are other ways. Jesus often withdrew, not to go and you know, play video games or be by himself. He withdrew to go and be with his father. And you say, well, I'm so busy. Schedule an appointment with God. I do that regularly. And there's many enemies to these things. Let me just give you a classic example of one of them. Best illustrated through this little device here. The average Canadian spends five hours a day online, on their phone, on their apps, on texting, on Google, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, whatever it is. Now, how did I know that? Well, I, I know that because I looked it up on my phone, ironically. But the problem, the problem is not the phone. The problem is the human heart. And so turn, turn off your phone or whatever it is that's distracting you and plug into Jesus. If, if there's ever a time we need this, it's, it's even more so now. Remain in him. And as the service concludes, we're going to collect our offering. And actually, um, 
I've decided to call a bit of an audible for our team. We're going to sing a song right now, the first song we sang today, because it resonates with what we're talking about. But as the service concludes after that, we're going to collect our offering. And it's interesting because what does the Bible call the offering? It calls it the collecting of the first fruits. We've been talking all about fruit today. The collecting of the first fruits. The collecting of the first fruits is every bit as much a part of worship as what we've been doing already as we remain in him. Let's sing and then we're going to collect the offering together. God bless. <laughs>